Um, now Moses was keeping the flock of his father-in-law Jethro, the priest of Midian, and he led his flock to the west side of the wilderness and came to Horeb, the mountain of God. And the angel of the Lord appeared to him in a flame of fire out of the midst of a bush. He looked and behold, the bush was burning, yet it was not consumed. And Moses said, I'll turn aside and see this great sight, why the bush is not burnt. When the Lord saw that he had turned aside to see, he called out to him out of the bushes, Moses, Moses. And he said, here I am. Then he said, do not come near Take your sandals off your feet, for the place on which you are standing is holy ground. And he said, I am the God of your father, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob. And Moses, Moses hid his face, for he was afraid to look at God. Then the Lord said, I have, sh I have surely seen the affliction of my people who are in Egypt and have heard their cry because of their taskmasters, and I know their sufferings. And I've come down to deliver them out of the hand of the Egyptians and to bring them up out of that land to a good and broad land, a land flowing with milk and honey, to the place of the Canaanites, the Hittites, the Amorites, the Perizzites, the Hivites and the Jebusites. And now behold, the cry of the people of Israel has come to me and I have also seen the oppression with which the Egyptians oppressed them. Come. I will send you to Pharaoh that you, you will bring my people, the children of Israel, out of Egypt. But Moses said to God, Who am I that I should go to Pharaoh and bring the children um, of Israel out of Egypt? He said, But I will be with you, and this shall be the sign for you that I have sent, um, that I have sent you. When you have brought the people out of Egypt, you shall serve God on this mountain." Then Moses said to God, if I come to the people of Israel and say to them, the God of your father has sent me um, to you, they'll ask me, what is his name? What shall I say to them? God said to Moses, I am who I am. And he said, say this to the people of Israel, I am has sent me to you. God also said to Moses, say this to the people of Israel, the Lord, the God of your fathers, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob has sent me to you. This is my name forever and thus I am to be remembered throughout all generations. Go and gather the elders of Israel together and say to them, the Lord, the God of your fathers, of the God of Abraham, of Isaac, of Jacob has appeared to me saying, I have, I have observed you and what has been done with you in Egypt. And I promise that I will bring you out of the affliction of Egypt to the land of the Canaanites, the Hittites, the Amorites, the Perizzites, the Hivites and the Jebusites, a land flowing with milk and honey. And they will listen to your voice um, and you and the elders of Israel shall go to the king of Egypt and say to him, the Lord, the God of the Hebrews has met with us. Now, please let us go on a three days journey into the wilderness that we may sacrifice to the Lord our God. But I know that the king of Egypt will, will not let you go unless compelled by a mighty hand. So I will stretch out my hand and strike Egypt with all the wonders that I will do, I will do in it. After that, he will let you go. And I'll give his people, 
his, his people favour in the sight of the, of the Egyptians. And when you go, you shall not go empty, but each woman shall ask of her neighbour and any woman who lives in her house for silver and gold jewellery and for clothing, and you shall put them on your sons and your daughters. Um, so you shall plunder the Egyptians. Morning, everyone. It's good to be back. I'm Jared, pastor here, and um, really special to be here and get to open God's word with you this morning. Will you join me as we pray? Father in heaven, we praise you and thank you. You are truly glorious and all-powerful. You are eternal. You rule over all things. You love us and you are dependable and trustworthy. And Lord, you deserve all praise, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And we come to you this morning. We pray that you would use your word to lift our eyes to you to focus our gaze on you, Lord, and, and how great you are, how glorious you are. And Lord, uh, as we do that, would you help us to, um, to not worry about the things uh, of this life, but to find our true peace and solace in you, uh, to find comfort in you, uh, and to, to know uh, the truths of, 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 of how you've revealed yourself and what those uh, mean for us. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. When you meet someone for the first time, what, what are some of the questions that you, you ask and answer? Feel free to shout them out. What kinds of things do we say when we meet someone? What do you do? Great. Anything else? What's your name? What was the other one? Where do you live? Great. All of these sorts of things. What do you do? Where's, what, where do you live? What's your name? Uh, the one I want to think about this morning is what's your name? It's a very personal thing, isn't it? Uh, this occurred to me uh, recently, but I was, I was talking to my daughter Florence about um, how my name is actually Jared. It's not Daddy, which is really interesting uh, for to, to her and to me. <laughs> so there, there are these. There we have these names for people that um, that describe their relations to us, and so those those kind of uh, often are how we refer to people. So you know, da Dad, Mum. Um, those are pretty common ones. You know, Nana, Grandpa, Auntie, Uncle. All those kinds of relationships. But each of those people has a personal name as well. A name that is their name. Uh, it's not. It's not a description of just uh, who, like who they are in terms of the relationship between them and, and you, but it's actually who who they are in their essence. That's 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 their name. And um, today uh, we're gonna we're gonna see God um, reveal Himself to Moses where He uses His personal name, where God makes it personal, not in a like you know. <laughs> mean antagonistic way that's what we normally mean when we say someone makes it personal no but God makes it personal in that he reveals his personal name to Moses he says this is who I am that's that's the, he makes himself known to Moses and we're going to see lots of amazing truths about God as we work our way through this passage but keep that in mind uh, we're going to be looking at who God is in his very essence uh, so up to this point, uh, we've seen Egypt having uh, a group of, of, of Israelite slaves, uh, working them super hard, putting them through uh, pretty rough slavery, and uh, just continuing to intensify that, trying to kill all of the sons to wipe them out, uh, assimilate them into the Egyptian population, and just really, really, really oppressing Israel. Uh, we've seen Moses uh, be threatened with death uh, a couple times, once when he was a baby, bit later after he uh, killed an Egyptian guy, um, Pharaoh wanted to kill him. Moses went and fled, uh, ended up in a place called Midian, uh, managed to find, find a wife there, 
uh, and became a shepherd. And, and then he's looking after this flock and he takes this flock. Uh, and that's, that's what, what he had a son at the end of the last passage as well. But he takes this flock, the flock of Jethro, his father-in-law, uh, the priest of Midian. And he led them to the west side of the wilderness and came to Horeb, the mountain of God. So that's where we begin. We begin with Moses leading this flock uh, of sheep to Horeb. Now, this isn't going to be the only time that Moses is going to lead a flock to the mountain of God. But when we look at that in future weeks, it'll be when Moses is leading the flock of the people to Horeb, the mountain of God, Mount Sinai. But here we've got these, there's lots of different pictures of what's to come that we get in this passage. We see lots of promise and then, and then as we read Exodus, we see it all brought to fulfillment. So Moses brings this flock uh, to Horeb, the mountain of God, and the angel of the Lord appeared to him in a flame of fire out of the midst of a bush. And, and Moses looks at this bush, uh, and the bush is on fire, but the bush isn't being consumed. That means it isn't being burnt up. So I don't know if you guys have seen the, um, we've had controlled burns around our house lately. Maybe some of you have as well. Um, and when they're burning those bushes, their bushes are disappearing. They're, they're, uh, yeah, in case you didn't realize, <laughs> that, that, that's what happens. Uh, so, so they've been setting them on fire, burning them, and then you can, you can see the scorch marks on the ground and you can see the remains of where the bush was. Uh, but that was different to what was happening here. And Moses knew that that's not normal for a bush as well. Moses thought, this is a great sight. I need to go check this out. What's, what's cooking here? <laughs> I just thought of that. <laughs> um, so he sees this bush. It's burning. It's on fire, but it's not burning up. And he goes to check it out. And then when the Lord saw that Moses turned aside to see, God called to him out of the bush, Moses, Moses. So you see there, the Lord sees that Moses turns aside to see. Moses has, has seen this bush. Um, he's gone to check it out, what's going on. And then God speaks to him out of that bush. He says, Moses, Moses. Now, if you just imagine for a second what this would be like. Moses is this guy who's had a pretty wild ride up to this point. You know, he was, he was a, he's a Hebrew, but he was raised by the Egyptians. Then he got kicked out of there. And then he met, some, met, a, met a nice Midianite girl, <laughs> started to settle down and have a family. All of a sudden, a bush is talking to him. <laughs> like, that's just got to seem super wild for him. The, the, there's a voice coming out of a bush calling to him, Moses, Moses. And the bush, the voice calling from the bush knows his name, knows Moses's personal name. Isn't that interesting? And he said, here I am. Then he said, this is God speaking to Moses from the bush. Do not come near. Take your sandals off your feet for the place on which you are standing is holy ground. Take your sandals off of your feet for the place on which you're standing is holy ground. So there's something unique and special about the ground on which Moses finds himself standing. Now, the, the mountain there um, is, is a mountain that features very prominently in the Old Testament, Mount Sinai. Uh, about uh, 15, 16 chapters later, we see God appear in a cloud and lightning and thunder and the whole place is trembling and all of the people are terrified. Um, this is a place that is, that is a, a holy place. Um, it's, it's not holy for an arbitrary reason, but because God himself um, was present there. He, he, he came in a special way to be present there. God's present everywhere. But in this, in this particular instance, he comes specially there. 
And so Moses is to respond by taking off his sandals. Uh, that That's a, a way of, of recognizing and acknowledging that this is a, a holy place. And then God says to this to Moses, he says uh, in verse 6, I am the God of your father, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. And Moses hid his face, for he was afraid to look at God. Yeah, so Moses knew that God is holy, and he knew that it would be a bad idea to look at God. God is perfect. He's, he's holy. He's blazing. He's righteous. He's good. And so if we, if we the, in the Old Testament, we see continually people are terrified at the idea of looking upon God. Because God is perfect, and we aren't perfect. And so in the presence of the almighty, perfect one, we stand completely exposed. And that's what Moses feels there. He wants to hide his face. Uh, he's afraid to look at God. But you notice how God identifies himself there first. I am the God of your father, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. Now, God is, that's kind of like similar to our word for God in English. It's a, it's a, it's a Hebrew word, um, Elohim, which is uh, his it, it, people in other parts of, say, Egypt would use that word to refer to their idols. But God is the only God. And, and he's saying that I'm the God of your father, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. So he's saying to Moses that I am your God. And he gives Moses an identity. Do you see how, like, Moses has been kind of work, trying to work out who he is in a lot of ways. He was born a Hebrew, raised an Egyptian, married into the Midianites. Now he's a shepherd. He was a prince, kind of. And, and now it's like, what's, what's going Who am I? And God has given him an identity. You are mine. I am the God of your father, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. Uh, he is, he is Moses' God, too. And so we, we have uh, this, this, this passage here that then draws our attention to uh, God's work across the generations. You see, God isn't just a God who's interested in, in one generation and then kind of leaves. No, he, he's a God who makes promises to generations and generations and generations. So if you think of Abraham back in, in Genesis, God made promises to Abraham uh, that he would be a blessing to all of the nations of the world through his offspring. He'd be a blessing uh, that he would give him the promised land, uh, that he would curse those who cursed Abraham, that he would keep Abraham safe and that he would cause him to have children as many as the sand on the seashore and the stars in the sky. And so what we see there is God reiterate those promises. He, he made them to Abraham. He made the same kind of promises to Isaac, same promises to Jacob. And now he's saying, I'm still that same God. And, and you think, well, God's made those promises. Some of those are, uh, have come true in, in part, but they're anticipating the fulfillment of those. And what does this tell us? That God hasn't given up on his promises. God will keep his promises. They, they, they may still uh, be some time for them to come to fruition. But the same God who made those promises to Abraham this is the same God who is appearing to Moses now in the burning bush. And he is the one who is trustworthy. Uh, we see from, from, from God's presence here that he is a holy God. And that's, that's important for us to take on board. I think sometimes our world can think of God as uh, in, in very unholy terms, where they, they kind of uh, don't, don't recognize how awesome and, and powerful and glorious he is. And, and if we're honest with ourselves, I think there are a lot of times where we fail to see how holy and amazing God is. And, and we can 
we can approach him um, uh, in a blasé kind of way. Obviously, the Bible does teach that we're to come boldly to God's throne, but we come boldly in reverence to the awesome God that we're coming to. This God who appears to Moses is truly awesome. In verse 7, we see that not only is he awesome, but that he cares, that he actually cares about us, that he loves us. And, and so if we, if we look with me in verses 7 and following there, the Lord said, uh, notice he uses Lord there, um, and that's, that is, that's God's personal name. When you see Lord capitalized, L-O-R-D, that's uh, God's personal name, which we'll talk about a bit more in, the, in a little bit. Well, you see here, I have surely seen the affliction of my people who are in Egypt and have heard their cry because of their taskmasters. I know their suffering and I have come down to deliver them out of the hand of the Egyptians and to bring them up out of that land to a good and broad land, a land flowing with milk and honey to the place of the Canaanites, the Hittites, the Amorites, the Perizzites, the Hivites and the Jebusites. And now behold, the cry of the people of Israel has come to me, and I've also seen the oppression with which the Egyptians oppressed, oppressed them. Come, I will send you to Pharaoh that you may bring my people, the children of Israel, out of Egypt. But we see there that God loves his people. You see the kinds of words that it, it uses to describe what, what God's doing. God hears their cries. God sees the oppression that they're under. God knows their suffering. And God has come down to do something about it. He sees, he hears, he knows, and he's come down to do something about it. And that's true today. God sees, God hears, God knows, and God has come to do something about it. We see a lot of suffering going on in our world at the moment. There's shocking, unspeakable things being committed, atrocities around the world. Uh, people ask, where is God in all of this? God is still on the throne. God sees, God hears, God knows, and God has come to do something about it in the Lord Jesus Christ. Jesus has come to this earth. Uh, we see here, this is, this is kind of like a, a, a big arrow pointing towards the coming of Jesus. Uh, we, we see God in, in this passage come down to, to reveal himself to Moses, to make himself known. And to not only make himself known, but to make his promises of rescuing his people known. We see in Jesus the ultimate fulfillment of that. God making himself known by being one of us, by taking on flesh, by walking amongst us, living amongst us, being a human and talking to us, uh, praying with us, uh, being there for us, and then going to the cross to die for us, to bring about the ultimate rescue from slavery. You see, here God is promising a rescue from slavery to Egypt. Uh, that's what he's promising to his people Israel. And he delivers on that promise. But God promises an even more amazing rescue. Delivery from slavery to sin. And that is the most amazing rescue ever. And that's only possible in Jesus Christ, who took that sin, uh, the death uh, that we deserve for our sin on the cross in our place. And rose powerfully to defeat it. So we've been speaking about how God is making himself known. But I want us to think about what things God makes known to us when he makes himself known. Uh, things about his character. Uh, before we do that, Moses says to God in verse 11, Who am I that I should go to Pharaoh and bring the children of Israel out of Egypt? He said, But I will be with you, and this shall be the sign for you, that I have sent you when you have brought the people out of Egypt. You shall serve God on this mountain. See, God promises the return. Moses, you will bring the people, that flock, 
back to this mountain. Then Moses said to God, verse 13, If I come to the people of Israel and say to them, The God of your fathers has sent me to you, and they ask me, What is his name? What shall I say to them? Because that term for God is quite a generic term that a lot of sort of people would have used. And he's saying, God sent me to you. They could say, well, which God? Who are you talking about? Which, which, who, who, who is this? You know, you're saying, you're saying that the God of our fathers has, has appeared to you, but are you even a Hebrew? Like you grew up with the Egyptians, you married a Midianite girl, and now you seem to be a shepherd hanging out in Midian. Like, what do you have to do with us? Uh, which God are you talking about? Um, and then God says to Moses, I am who I am. Uh, that is, Ehyeh, Asher, Ehyeh. I am who I am. God is who he is. It, it, could, it could also be translated, I will be what I will be. I am what I am. Uh, this, this, is, this is a mind-blowing moment in the Bible. This is where we get to hear God's personal name coming up here. This is, this is um, the, this person's section here. God is using the verb to be in describing himself. Now, uh, he, a few, few verses later, um, says, say this to the people of Israel, the Lord, um, the God of your fathers, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob has sent me to you. And in the middle there, he says in, in verse 14, say this to the people of Israel, I am has sent me to you. And so the Lord, Yahweh, is his personal name, has revealed himself as the ultimate one. The personal name that he has given us teaches us so much about God. And, and I was just trying to think through some of the different amazing truths that we get from knowing that God is who he is. He says, I am who I am. I will be what I will be. What does that teach us about God? One of the first things is it teaches us that he's eternal, that God has been around forever, that he will be around forever, that he's around now. He, he is eternal. You can't, you can't put him in a box. He's beyond time and space. He is forever. And he, he, he goes beyond our comprehension. What else do we learn about God from him saying, I am who I am? We learn that he is not dependent on anyone or anything. Uh, we, if you have kids, you know what it's like to have dependents. That's what they call them on your tax return. <laughs> and that's what they feel like sometimes. <laughs> no, but um, dependence is, like, is, is where someone is reliant upon someone else. Uh, God is not reliant upon anyone else. He is who he is. He is sufficient in himself. He doesn't need uh, someone else to, to provide for him. He provides. He, he is uh, not, not, not dependent on anyone. And not only is he not dependent on anyone, everyone is dependent on him for everything. We are dependent upon God for everything. We, we can, we can uh, tend to think that we're providing for ourselves, you know, um, that we somehow have... Uh, you know, got what we need to, to provide for our own needs. But the reality is, behind all of that, under all of that, is the gracious God who is providing for us. You see, we're dependent upon God for everything. If we didn't have God actively sustaining us right now, we'd all be non-existent. We wouldn't be here. But it's because God has made us. It's because God is giving us the breath in our lungs, the function in our bodies to be able to breathe, the function in our brains to be able to think and understand that we are here at all. We are completely dependent on him, the one who is who he is. And that, that ought to drive us to thankfulness. But we keep going. I am who I am. God is all powerful. He can do all things. The fact that he, he, everyone is dependent upon him and, and he's dependent on no one tells us the extent of his power. 
He, he can do whatever he wants. That naturally follows from I am who I am. I will be what I will be to I can do whatever I want to do. That, 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 that's what God can do. He is capable of doing anything and everything that he wants. And when, we, when you hear that, uh, that's, that's, that's a striking reality. You think God is all powerful. And then, you, and then you remember, he is the loving God. This comes in the context of him just saying, I've seen the suffering that my people have gone through. I've heard of their cries. I know their afflictions and I've come to do something about it. You see, this is the God who, who is all powerful and who loves deeply, who loves and who has set his love on his people and who will rescue his people from, from, their, from their situation and ultimately from their sin. I am who I am. God is eternal. He is dependable. He is all-powerful. He is forever, and he will be around forever, and he is trustworthy. You see, there, there are lots of things in our world that float around. Um, if you've ever been to a market, uh, you, may, you may have seen people selling stuff, and then um, my parents, uh, they, they usually call them like fly-by-night salesmen, you know, the kinds of people who... Um, they set up their stall, it all looks great, and you go, oh, this is nice, I'll come and buy, you know, this and that and the next thing, and, and then, oh, you take it home, and oh, that's a shame, this, this thing broke, so I'll go back tomorrow, and then nowhere to be found. <laughs> Why am I telling you this? <laughs> God is nothing like that. So there, there, are, there are these people who, in, in that, that, that's an illustration of what it looks like when people are there, and then they're gone, they, they, they're trying to, to do stuff to, to trick people. God is not trying to trick us. No, God is trustworthy. He's not like someone who's, who's trying to bait and switch you into something. No, he, he is the I am, the great and all-powerful and all-glorious and all-holy God who loves his people dearly and has come to save us. And he isn't offering us some false hope. He's offering us true salvation in Jesus Christ. And when we look at our world today, I was thinking about this this week, and it's, um, it, you know, I believe in the sovereignty of God. I don't, don't believe that there are any accidents. I don't think it's an accident that we're up to Exodus 3 this week as we look around at our world and we see what's happening in the Middle East. We see what's happening to uh, Israel, and, and we see uh, these horrific things going on there. Uh, and we know that God is the gracious, all-powerful God who is who he is. And so when we look at this suffering, our world goes, where is God? Where is he? What's he doing? Is he even there? But God is who he is, and God has his plan, and God will rescue his people. Now, the people of Israel, much like any of us, they need to, and, and all the people on all the sides in the Middle East, need to come to faith in Jesus Christ, need to trust Jesus, because he is who he is. When, uh, when Jesus was on earth, Jesus uh, had a lot of encounters with, with a lot of people. Uh, there was a group of Jews he had an encounter with in, in John chapter 8 who, who tried to basically say to Jesus, we believe in God, we just don't believe in you. That's essentially what they were saying. And Jesus says to them, well, you're of your father, the devil. You can't, you can't separate out believing in Jesus and believing in, in, the, in the great I am of the Old Testament. There's this heated back and forth exchange where uh, Jesus says, Abraham rejoiced to see my day. And they say back to him, you're not yet 50 years old and you've seen Abraham. And then Jesus says these words, before Abraham was, 
I am. Before Abraham was, I am. And you know they know exactly what, what he's saying because they pick up stones to, to stone him to death. They, they believe that Jesus is guilty of blasphemy. Um, but the reality is Jesus is this God who has come to earth, the ultimate one who has come down in the ultimate sense to rescue his people. That's who Jesus is. And he is the great I am, the one who offers salvation. And, and, and so when he says those words, we know that each and every one of us needs to bow down to Jesus and acknowledge him as Lord. One day we all will. One day, without exception, every knee will bow, every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. But for many, that day will be too late because w w we need to do that now while we've still got time. There's, there's, there's going to come a time where we won't have time anymore. But now there is still time. So if you, if you haven't bowed the knee to Jesus, then I ask you to do it right now. We don't know how long we've got, but we do know that he is the Lord and he is coming back and he is the ultimate one. And our only hope is, that, is not in uh, me being I am. I, I'm nothing apart from Jesus. Our only hope is in Jesus being I am. I, um, I, was, I was given a book uh, a few years ago by a friend, um, and it was, it, it was called, uh, well, yeah, it's called The Power of I Am. I, d I don't think it's a good book. Um, and, uh, <laughs> but I do think the guy has a great dentist um <laughs> on the front cover. But anyway, the, the, book, the book is essentially, I thought it was going to be all about God. That's what I thought. When I, when I first saw it, I thought, well, uh, this is going to be interesting. I don't know how he's going to do this. But essentially, the book was all about saying, I am, and then X, Y, Z. So, you know, let, like, for example, if you, if you feel, if you're sick, you just say, I am healthy, and you're better. Or if, if, you're, if, you're, if you're looking in the mirror, and you're like, I've got a few wrinkles now. If you say, I am young, then all of a sudden, the wrinkles are gone. If, if you say, uh, I, I am the best basketball player in the world, then, hey, presto, you know, NBA, here we come. <laughs> it's, it's, it's this idea that basically you, the I am is some magical formula to get whatever you want out of life. And that couldn't be further from the truth. That's not at all what this passage is about. This passage is not I am in the context of me and you. This passage is I am God. God, God is the I am. He is the all-powerful one. He is eternal, all-glorious, uh, loving and kind and gracious and merciful. He is who he is. And, 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 and I am is not a name for us to, to misuse, to try and uh, make out as though we're something that we're not. I am is God's personal name. God making himself known. We, each of us have a personal name. Um, you see how when I mentioned earlier about me being known to my kids as daddy, um, there's a similarity there in that God is the God of the fathers of Abraham, Isaac, Jacob. But there's also a personal name. And God's personal name is I am who I am. Yahweh, the self-existent, eternal, all-powerful one. And this God, this amazing, awesome, powerful God, is not indifferent to the suffering of his people. He looks at the suffering of his people and he cares and he knows and he makes promises to do something about it. You see, it's not that he, he, he kind of just is all powerful and then says, well, I'm just going to keep to myself and I don't really care what happens to you guys. No, he has this amazing love for us. 
this amazing love and kindness and grace. And so he looks upon us and he sees our suffering and he comes down to do something about it. He, he has this, this perfect plan. I, I think we, we can often be like Moses, can't we? In, this, in verse 11 where he says, Who am I that I should go to Pharaoh and bring the children of Israel out of Egypt? Who am I that I should do X, Y, Z thing that God has called, called me to? Who am I to preach the gospel to my neighbors? Who am I to, to, to pray boldly before the throne of God? Who am I to do all of these things? But I will be with you. It's interesting, uh, God responds, you know, in, in, the, in the context here, we've got Moses is, 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 is says earlier on, here I am. Moses later on says, who am I? And God says, I am. Isn't that awesome? Moses says, who, who am I? And God says, I am. Not, not you are, Moses. Not, not you can do it like great, but go for it, Moses, because you're all powerful and you can do anything. No, you can do it because I will be with you. And that's so true when you think about all of these things. Like think about the Great Commission where Jesus calls us to preach the gospel to all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that is commanded us. And lo, or behold, or lo and behold, I am with you always to the very end of the age. You see, just like God promised to be with Moses, he's promised to be with us. You see, God calls us to do these tasks. He calls us to things like preaching the gospel, like praying for people, like reading his word. But he enables us to do all of those tasks by his Holy Spirit. He doesn't call us to something and then kind of just leave us on our own to get on with it. No, he's with us. He is with us through it all. Praise God. He says, he outlines this plan. Um, He outlines this plan of, of how uh, the the Lord, this is in verse 16, where he's, he's telling Moses to get the elders together um, to tell them uh, that, that he, he, to pass on this message of the promise of rescue. And he says in verse 18, and they will listen to your voice and you and the elders of Israel shall go to the king of Egypt and say to him, uh, the Lord, the God of the Hebrews has met with us and now please let us go a three days journey into the wilderness that we may sacrifice to the Lord our God. But I know that the king of Egypt will not let you go unless compelled by a mighty hand. I think if, if you imagine uh, Moses' feelings in this, he's thinking, man, the Hebrews don't like me. Pharaoh wants to kill me. What, wh- why? What, maybe don't send me. Maybe, maybe send someone else. Uh, next, in Exodus chapter 4, we see Moses continue to put up some, uh, no, don't send me. Uh, and we'll, we'll look at that later. But here we do see a bit of that, and you can you can just imagine what's going on in his mind. Like, I these people, there are people here who want to kill me. They hate me, um, and so he might be feeling like, you know, my immediate threat is, uh, am I going to survive if I go back to Egypt? But God is saying, this will happen. This will happen. They will listen to you. The the, the elders of Israel will listen to you. Uh, the king of Egypt won't listen to you at first, but then I will act. You see, God says, I will stretch out my hand and strike Egypt, this is in verse 20, with all the wonders that I will do in it. After that, he will let you go. If you read uh, on in Exodus, as we will, you'll see that that Pharaoh, it looks like he's never going to let them go. He'll say, yeah, 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 go. And then he's like, no, 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 stay. Uh, he, 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 th- he tells them to go and then he, and he changes his mind and he tells them to stay. And, and we see him continue to do that. God knows beforehand and God promised beforehand that he would stretch out his hand and strike Egypt to do what was necessary to rescue his people. 
And you, you know, when, when you consider the whole of the, the big picture of the Bible, and you know that, that God defeats his enemies, that's a crucial part of the gospel too, that God has defeated our enemies of sin, death, and, and Satan. Uh, and so we see, uh, we see that in Jesus Christ. In this bit in verse 21, we see, and I will give this people favor in the sight of the Egyptians. And when you go, you shall not go empty, but each woman shall ask of her neighbor and any woman who lives in her house for silver and gold jewelry and for clothing. You shall put them on your sons and on your daughters, so you shall plunder the Egyptians. Now, uh, if you imagine being uh, uh, in, in, a, in a slavery somewhere, and then you imagine plundering the people who are <laughs> your slave owners, that seems sort of hard to comprehend, doesn't it? Be like if you were kept in, in, in someone's uh, personal dungeon, and then you carjack them. <laughs> it just it doesn't, doesn't seem to make any sense. Like, how, how, do, how is that possible? Um, and it's only possible because because of God. Like you, Moses can't do this. Moses would be dead, remember? Because because Moses Moses was a Hebrew, uh, and you take a step back, and it's like none of these people would even have breath in their lungs. They wouldn't even have a world to live in. It's completely reliant upon God, and Moses here uh, is completely reliant upon God. And so, what looks impossible in our world, what is impossible for us as humans, is possible for God. God can do anything, and that's because he is who he is. He's not dependent on anyone. He is eternal. He's all-powerful, and the wonderful thing is he is loving. He loves us, and so we know that he acts uh, with for the good of those who love him in all things, and and so we see here how God even provides for them in this, this amazing, miraculous way, and and if you, if you take a step back and you think, Egypt was the world's superpower. Israel was not. <laughs> Israel were this, 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 to begin with, this tiny, weak, puny nation who, who couldn't really uh, say boo to a goose. Like they, let alone stand up to, to Pharaoh and Egypt. They, they, they were so, so insignificant in a human sense, if we were humanly speaking. But they weren't insignificant to God. They were his people that he'd chosen and set his love on. And so God keeps his promises and here he makes these promises to them that he's going to rescue them and if you think about it and you go well well why should we trust why should we trust you why should we why should we trust god well he is who he is that's how he's revealed himself and he keeps his promises each and every time so when 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 you're faced with with difficulties and trials which we'll see further down the track with the the uh, israelites they need to hold on to who god is they need to hold on to who he is, because when you do that, all of those other things uh, fit into place and, and, and we can make sense of this world that we live in. So we need, to, we need to ask ourselves, do we remember God's holiness? Do we remember that he is eternal, that he is powerful, that he loves us, that he cares uh, and that he rules? Because when we hold on to these truths, we can make sense of everything that's going on in our world. Um, doesn't mean that uh, everything going on in our world we kind of understand, but it does mean that we know the one who does understand, that we know that, that God has a plan, that he is bringing it about, and that we can trust him. And so for us, we trust Jesus, who is the great I am, come to rescue us from slavery to sin. If you know Jesus, praise God. If you don't yet know Jesus, come to him today. Don't delay we don't know how long we've got, but we do know 
that Jesus will judge the world in perfect righteousness. We don't want to feel exposed when we stand before him. We want to feel clothed in his righteousness. So let's pray to him now. Lord Jesus, we thank you for your grace. We thank you for your goodness. We praise you. You are the all-glorious one, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. You rule supreme. You are who you are. Uh, we, we thank you that you are the great I am, that you are not dependent on anyone, but that everyone is dependent on you. Uh, we thank you, Lord, that you care about your people, that you will intervene, that you will continue to bring things uh, to your ultimate plan. And we pray, Lord, that you strengthen us uh, for the tasks that you've called us to. Lord, thank you that uh, just like with Moses, you were with him. You are with us. And, and, and in an even more amazing way, because Holy Spirit, you've come to live in us. And we thank you that we can then know you, that we can live with you. We thank you that we have the empowerment by your Holy Spirit to do the very tasks that you call us to. Help us, Lord, to be bold. Uh, in doing what you've called us to, uh, in preaching the gospel, in, in reaching this lost world, in coming to you in prayer, in reading your word, in uh, trusting you, in bowing before you, recognizing your gloriousness. Help us to do all of those things, knowing that you are with us, enabling us to, to do them. We pray, Lord, that you would be glorified in our lives, in our hearts, uh, in, in, in the private times, as well as in the public times. Lord, help us to be people of integrity who love you with all of our heart, soul, mind, and strength and love our neighbors as ourselves. And we pray this all for Jesus' glory and his, his praise. Amen.